Hi there, welcome into the Render Podcast. I am your host, Cam, and I'm so excited to share a recording from the Good Shuffle Pro Summit from just a couple months ago. We were able to share more about pricing for profitability with your rental products and some really great insights. I know that we have done some episodes about this in the past, but we have some new insights that we wanted to share with you. And so we're uh, sharing this recording from the Good Shuffle Pro um, summit that happened in February of 2023. So take a listen. You might want to take some notes. Hey there, you're listening to the Render Podcast, a podcast for creatives. I'm Cam, a visionary leader who has failed and thrived through small business leadership. After being in the events industry since 2010 and working with brands such as Nike, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Create and Cultivate, I became wildly passionate about education for small businesses. I teach others how to work with their dream clients, the mistakes I've made along the way. I hope you leave here refreshed, engaged, and ready to take on your company, making the next right decision. How's it going, Cam? Hey, I'm good. How are you? So sorry. Technical problems. <laughs> no worries. Uh, we've really enjoyed this new platform we're working with this year, but every time something's new, it uh, sometimes can take a minute. Uh, but I'm really happy to have you here with us today. Um, for those who don't know Cam Patty, uh, she has had a decade of entrepreneurship uh, experience. She has very ambitious, high achiever spirit. Um, she and I are similar on the Enneagram, if anyone follows the Enneagram uh, uh, numbers. Um, and Cam is someone who not only has an incredible business, which I'm sure she will tell you about uh, her rental and um, her rental business and her event company out of Dallas, Texas, but she also is an educator. So she's experienced every step of building a company from the ground up. And in doing so, really fostered this deep passion for educating and leading others on that same journey. So pretty much the ideal person to speak at our user summit, which is why we've tapped into her education and her experience every year so far. Um, Cam is someone who selflessly educates others, fearlessly leads her team, and is always ready to conquer a new project. So we're very, very appreciative here at Good Shuffle to have Cam as a guest speaker today particularly because she's going to be speaking on a topic that people talk about a lot, which is pricing. So Cam, I'm going to go ahead and let you take it away. Awesome. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here. Um, so for those of you that don't know me, I'm Cam, and I'm the CEO and founder of Render Events in Dallas, Texas. Um, I'm going to be talking to you guys about pricing for profitability for your products. And this is a really hot topic all over the industry. Um, for many years. And so we've got um, some great points that I'm going to share with you today about that. I'd like to give you a little bit of a background, though, to help you understand my company. And then maybe you can find some similarities in your own company that might align with how I've set up our company. So I already mentioned I'm in Dallas, Texas. We are a large, large city, and we have many events in different quantities. We have different uh, styles of event. We have uh, weddings and corporate events from, um, gosh, upwards of 50,000 people, and then weddings that could be 10 people and everything in between. And we have those happening at barns in the middle of nowhere. We have them at big ballrooms. We have them at huge convention centers. 
And so we have a huge wide array of different events that we serve with many different products as well. We also have a ton of competitors in our market as well. And so um, pricing for your profitability is really important in a large market. You might find yourselves in a large market as well, but everything I'm going to go through today also applies for those who are in medium or small markets as well. My warehouse is 7,000 square feet, although we are busting at the seams. <laughs> um, for those of you who are in Dallas, which I think I recognize a few names within this um, recording right now, there, I don't know how we're fitting everything in. We are actually in the midst of uh, hopefully moving here soon to a bigger spot. Um, we serve rentals, but we also have a floral line and we rent uh, live and faux plants as well. So we can service multiple different things. Um, the basis of my company is rentals though. And we focus mostly on rentals in floral is just kind of an additive where needed. We have a full team of 14 full-time employees now post-pandemic. During the pandemic was uh, quite a bit less depending on what stage of the pandemic we were in but we had about 14 prior to the pandemic. So we are back to normal um, workings right now, which is so good to feel and see. And I'm sure many of you are in the same boat as well. We also have anywhere from five to eight part-time or as needed crew members that work when uh, we have a ton of events. And so if your market is similar to mine, there are some ups and downs in the market that we serve, meaning there are times where we have a lot of events, meaning we've got like 22 within a Thursday to a Monday uh, time frame, which has happened multiple times. And then there's times where we don't have any events at all. Although nowadays we have events pretty much year round because of how busy we are now post pandemic. So those eight part-timers are um, usually there um, all the time. And a lot of them actually work more full-time hours as well. We serve anywhere from 300 to 400 events annually with an average order of about $4,000 per order. And I also have, as uh, Karen mentioned, I have an online course called Rental Biz Academy, where we have 600 students worldwide. I also have a podcast with 142 episodes and counting on Apple and Spotify called The Render Podcast. And I have an online shop full of tons of downloads to equip you and your rental company as well. So that's just a little bit about my business. I'm also a mom, three kiddos, 10, eight, and five. And I've got a sweet golden retriever whose birthday was actually yesterday. He just turned 10, which is so fun. Um, and a future husband. And we all live in Grapevine, Texas, which is not too far from my warehouse in the design district. Now, today I'm going to be teaching you a little bit about how to price your product for profitability. And you're going to walk away with three new things that you may have not considered before. Or maybe you just need that friendly little nudge and reminder about how to do this. Because again, we just went through a pandemic and you might have forgotten some of these things. The first thing you're going to learn today is how to learn and understand the costs and budgets of your inventory in order to turn a profit, but not just turn a profit, but do it quickly. The second thing is you're going to have a plan to price your next purchase with ease and every product after that. And the third is you're going to gain knowledge about how your clients see and intellectually process the prices that you have in your quotes or um, on your website. And that's really important to understand as well. Now I've taught this subject many times in the past and you may have been, been on one of my teachings before through a webinar that I host, any podcast episodes that we have 
um, had on our podcast and in my course. But today I've got a few new insights that I want to share with you. Now, if you're anything like me, you might love numbers and spreadsheets too. But if you're not, that's okay. We're going to take it nice and slow and I'm going to explain the process. So to start today, we're going to talk about numbers. And in a way that handles your budget first before the numbers of the actual price that you're going to be setting for your products. Because it's uh, it's really, really important that we understand the prices and the budgets and what the cost of doing business is before you can even put a price tag on your items. Because if you don't know those costs, then you might be severely underpricing your uh, inventory or you might be severely overpricing your inventory to where you're not bringing in the sales that you need to. So budgets are uh, really important and we have to understand a few things before we can set or reset some of your prices. Some of you in here are probably brand new to business. Some of you are probably seasoned as well, like myself. So the cost of your product plays a massive role in the prices that you set for your rental product. But let's take a step back and understand this budget for your company so you know how much you can actually spend. Now, budgets are important not only to create and, and understand, but also to keep up with on a regular basis. The cost of doing business for a rental company is quite a bit larger than some of our other vendors in our industry. Um, and that's largely due to the space that we have to store our items in, the software that costs us to run the business, and the people on our team that drives that payroll cost up, but is certainly necessary to have in a rental company. Now, the three main components to your budget should consist of the revenue that you're bringing in, which, by the way, Good Shuffle has an amazing integration with QuickBooks to do this so much easier. I highly recommend that you also do this integration, um, as I have as well, and it's incredible. So revenue is our first part of our budget. The next is your expenses, and you can create this and categorize it in two different ways. The first one is your cost of goods sold. We call it COGS in our office for short. Um, and then you have hard expenses. Now, the difference between those two is COGS are the expenses that are due it, uh, to the actual events themselves. And so things like painting or vinyl or the actual uh, people delivering those things, whether they're contract labor, those are COGS. Those are costs of doing the business that you are booking. And then there's hard costs, such as the softwares, the rent or mortgage of your uh, storage space and office, the utilities that you run, payments for trucks, whether those are purchases um, or they're lease trucks, and so much more that actually costs us to run our businesses. And then the third uh, content of this is the net profit or loss of your company. And that what that looks like, not only on an annual basis, but on a quarterly and monthly basis as well. All of these numbers are imperative to know and understand, and then regularly keep up to date. Once you understand this, then you can set your budgets and the purchases for your new inventory, which are assets, to your company. Now, every single piece that you buy for your company is an inventory asset investment. This means that all of the um, items that you are buying should be categorized as an asset, not just an expense, because it will continue to earn a profit over the years. So assets are going to be your products, your items and more items if you were to um, think about it of packaging up your business to sell. So I've done this before is that I've purchased other companies and what we purchase them as is an asset purchase. And so you have to look at your business 
um, and the things that you categorize as assets versus expenses is if you were to package up your entire business and you were to sell it off, you can sell different pieces. So obviously your inventory is one of those things that you can sell off. You can also sell off your domains, your websites, your computers and tablets, purchased vehicles, not leased vehicles, and any supplies for your business, such as dollies and blankets and straps and all the things that we actually have to have as well. And so that's what I mean by an asset. You can actually continue to use it over and over and over again, and you can sell it off if you need to. Our rule of thumb is that we can budget after we've gone through all of these things. We understand our revenue. We understand our cost of doing business on a cog side and an expense side, and we know our assets and our net profit or loss. You have to know all of that before you can set a budget for buying new inventory. Now we have a couple different rules of thumbs when we buy new inventory. The first is that if we are in a maintenance type of year, which means we're just maintaining what we're doing from the previous year, then we're going to set on our net profit because you should be maintaining if you're earning a profit. If you are um, going at a loss type of business, you should be in a growth stage. And so that net profit, because we know all of the other things that we just discussed, will let us know whether we should be in a maintaining that year or a growth year. Now, if you are in a maintaining year because you have year over year profit, whether that profit is a dollar or whether that profit is $200,000, then you can set what your net profit of new inventory that you want to spend to add as an asset to your business. Our rule of thumb is going to be 10 to 30% of your net profit. Now, the rest of that profit, because we are just coming off of a year and we are likely having to pay, depending on your uh, books, you might have to be paying more tax than, uh, than you would if you were at a uh, kind of breaking even year or a loss year. Um, now, something that you might not know is that if you are going to have a profit, whether again, it's $1 or $200,000, you are going to be taxed more on the profit that you bring in versus just uh, breaking even or having a little bit of a loss. And so that's why we have some profits that we're working with that we're going to assume that we're going to have profit based on all of our expenses monthly and quarterly and annually. And we're going to set that to purchase new inventory. The rest of the net profit, you should be either giving bonuses or using that money however you can to where you don't have to pay too much of an extra tax because you're uh, building a profit. All of this I explained in uh, Rental Visit Academy, so I'm not going to go too much into that right now. But that is one rule of thumb is a profit year and a maintenance year that you're just going to uh, grow your inventory by 10 to 30%. Now in growth years, we budget how much we want to grow within that year, which means we have to know, again, all of our numbers on that and a plan to maintain our costs versus skyrocketing our costs um, because we know we're in a growth year. That number should be dependent on how much you want to grow by. So if you want to grow by 5%, you want to grow by 10%, you want to grow by 75%, then that's going to determine uh, what you need to do either with your pricing or with new inventory ads, okay? I hope you're tracking. If you're not, please uh, feel free to uh, put some comments in. I have the chat up and I'm happy to answer questions or make clarifications as I go. Now, when you go to buy a new inventory, keep in mind that this is a business. You have the ability to apply 
for different certificates and different things to help you get that price of your product down as much as possible. So what that means is that depending on what state you are in, or if you're in a different country, you need to look into what your country allows. But depending on where you live, there is what's called a state sales uh, and use tax certificate. This means that you can bypass the tax that it costs you to buy a new product because you're then using that product, you are renting it out, and you are going to charge the tax on that end to then pay to our government. So when you have a sales and use tax format uh, certificate, you can apply that to your purchases. Now, I'm not going to say that every single place that you buy from is going to accept this. Like, for example, Target does not accept that. They want your money and they're going to charge you for it. And there is no discount unless you use a red card. But if you go to Home Goods or you go to At Home or you go to Wayfair.com or um, any, any company that you can find online, most of those are going to have a trade program or some way that you can bypass that tax. You just have to inquire or search for it on their website. So that's one thing that you need to have is your state. So ours is Texas sales and use tax certificate. And then you can also use your EIN, which is your employer identification number that you bought, you get when you register your business. The paperwork that you uh, fill out would be a W-9. And you're going to have both of those documents and submit those to wherever you're buying from. And that will give you, um, and most companies are going to have this already laid out. You're going to get a percentage off. You're going to get maybe special business to business pricing. Um, so many different companies do this differently. So you have to check with the company that you're purchasing these from. But between an EIN on a W-9 and a sales and tax use uh, certificate, those two things are going to drive the cost that you're actually paying for your product down, which is a good thing for your business. Now, the goal is to buy your items as low in cost as possible, but maintaining a high quality product to wear against the movement and the use that it's going to go through. We shoot for a three to five rule, which gets us to our next point of how you, pr you price your product. So how you price your product should take a few different approaches to make sure you are pricing appropriately. We're going to review three different strategies that should be used all in conjunction together to price your inventory products. If you just use one of these three strategies, um, it could lead you in a bad direction. And that's why we have to take them all three together. So the three that I'm going to teach you right now are the three to five rule, the competition rule, and the common sense rule. The three to five rule is super simple. And this is your first step in buying and should be easy math that you can do while you're online or in a store. What you're going to do is you're going to take the price you purchase your product for, and you're going to divide it by three, then divide it by four, and then divide it by five, and you're gonna determine what that price would get you. Why? Because this means it takes that amount of time, three, four, or five times to rent the product before you see a profit. The goal is to get it as little amount of times as possible so that you can get away with pricing it once or twice or three times or four times or five times or however many times to get a product. Now, if you can get away with getting it uh, priced to where you have to rent it once or twice, not three, four, or five, then that's even better because it means you're going to pay that off as quickly as possible. However, I have a caveat to this rule. 
all rules have exceptions, right? This rule has an exception. The most I will ever go is gonna be seven times for only the items that I know for a fact are gonna be a hot rental item. And I know are gonna earn that profit back within two months or less. And so an item such as a wooden farm table in Dallas, Texas, I know is going to rent like hotcakes versus an acrylic dining table. That might not rent as often as a wooden farm table. And so I'm willing to take the risk of building or buying a farm table for a little bit more money to wear against the uh, different things that that table is going to go through because I know I'm going to earn a profit on that quicker than I would an acrylic table where I need to keep my costs low and my price high. Does that make sense? So I might price um, an acrylic table if it cost me $1,000 for an acrylic table. I'm going to want to price it out at like $750 or $600 because I know that it's going to take a while, a longer time to pay that product off than it would if I were to spend $1,000 on a farm table, then I know that that thing is going to go over and over and over because I've either done the market research, I've seen it happen, or I have a history of different examples of how that could happen in my own company with other similar farm tables that I've had. And so if I know that it cost me $1,000 for a wooden, wooden farm table, then I might price that out at $150 or $200 because I know in the same amount of time, it will take me to price that acrylic table. I can price that farm table out at a lower price and make a profit probably quicker than I could do that acrylic table. That doesn't mean that an acrylic table isn't going to rent and that it's not a good buying decision. I just know it's going to take me a little bit longer than other products, right? Okay, so that's how we are going to do our uh, pricing is a three to five rule. Now, you can't just take that three to five rule and say, this is going to work because uh, let's say you go to an estate sale and you buy a sofa for $50. Well, you're not going to price that product out at $25, right? So you got to understand common sense, which is um, another rule that we're going to get to in just a second. So the next rule is uh, our competition rule. Now, this is not an excuse and I'm not giving you a pass to go do a secret shopping on all of your competitors. But a lot of people are posting their prices nowadays, and it is really important that you know what your competition is uh, pricing their products at. Now, again, this isn't one rule that you say, you know, I'm going to copy every single thing that my competitor prices things out at, because that's not realistic. But we do need to have a healthy understanding of what our competition is uh, pricing their product at. Because if you, uh, let's take the farm table, uh, for example. If you have a farm table and you're pricing it at $150, but your competition is pricing that same farm table or very, very similar farm table out at $75, then you're going to get beat over and over and over because your clients aren't just looking at you. They're looking at everybody. They're looking at at least one or two, sometimes even three or four other companies. They're not just looking at you. And so you have to understand what your competition is because you can't be wildly high based on their prices and you can't be wildly low based on their prices either. You want to meet somewhere uh, around that or you're going to get beat every single time or at least 75% of the time. So you have to understand what your competition is pricing their product at. Now, our last rule is the common sense rule. Again, if you go to an estate sale and you buy a sofa for 50 bucks, 
You cannot price that out for $25 and take that 33 to 5% uh, rule. And you can't just take your competition rule either. You have to use common sense. And so one of my rule of thumbs is if I am pricing out a product that I bought a smoking deal at, then I'm going to use common sense and say, okay, what other sofas or what other products similar to this do I already have? And let's price it similar to that so that we are not wildly low on that. But now we know we're going to make a profit on the very first one and we're going to make a huge profit on the very first one. Okay, so use common sense. The last thing that we're going to cover today is to gain an understanding of how your clients intellectually are looking at your pricing. There's this thing that our brain does, and it's just the way that we are wired as humans, is that when you see a price tag that tells you um, a certain price, it's going to tell you if it's a good buying decision or a bad buying decision based on either past use of how you've looked at a price tag or just common sense as well. And so I want you to think of a time that you were at a, star, a store and you saw something that you uh, looked at the price tag and you're like, oh gosh, that is a little more than I was thinking. Let's take an example of Target. If you go to Target and you see this really cute top or you see this product that's priced at $40, you might think, ah, oh, that's a little too high for comfort. I don't think I'm ready to purchase that because it's $40. But the next time you go to Target, you see that same top, but now it's $35. Well, you thought the last time it was $40 is a little too high, but now I'm getting a deal, right? And so you want to go buy that only because it's $5 less. And in the grand scheme of things, if it's $5 less, is it really making that big of a difference? No, not in the long run. But your brain and the way that it's wired thinks this is a good buying decision versus eh, there's a little... Uh, caveat of it might not be as good of a buying decision. It could be, but it could not be. And so you're going to err on the side of it's not a good buying decision. This also goes for the number seven. So you notice that the number five and a 35 versus a 40, five is one of those numbers that your brain says this is a good deal. Same thing if it's seven. So if $5 less seems like, oh, that's a little more than I was expecting to go down, try $3 less. Go to 37. And really at the end of the day, is it that much more? Is it that much less? No, but your brain thinks it is. Most people don't think with their brains of like, oh, because it's $3 less, I'm getting a deal. No, it's just this quick, like instant thing that your brain thinks this is a good buying decision. Same thing goes with um, different things in your sales room, like uh, a nice smelling candle. That makes our brain feel like we are in a safe place um, because of a scent that we are smelling. Uh, the same thing with plants or living uh, products, whether it's a plant or a flower arrangement in your sales room, this also goes into this good buying or bad buying situation that your brain kind of goes through. And so those are plenty of things that I teach in Rental Biz Academy. But to get back to what I'm talking about, the number that you put on your product does make a difference, whether you're looking online on your computer at your products, or you're seeing a itemized quote, that five or a seven makes a big difference because of that just that simple price. So we've tested this theory because when I first thought of, or, or I heard this theory, I was like, it's kind of odd, but uh, I don't know if I'm ready to try that. So I tried it. We put it to the test and we put all of our prices from 400 or our sofas are anywhere from like 250 to 
450. Some of them are up to 600 now. Um, we put this to you. So if we have a $400 sofa, we put the price at 397 and we wanted to test the theory, see what happens. The results of just that small, tiny little change. And this wasn't just one sofa. We did it to all of our sofas and all of our chairs and all of everything. But just this one small change to the entirety of our pricing made a huge difference in our average contract size, which meant we went from $750 per average contract to over $4,000 per contract. Now, I'm not going to say that just changing the pricing down by $3 is going to make or break this $750 to $4,000 or whatever your numbers might be. But I will say that is a, a key point in why our pricing, our average price per contract went up because of that change in conjunction with the customer service that we already have going for us and our sales process and our operations process and the way that we market our company. Um, those 100% go into your average order size in conjunction with this pricing strategy as well. So those are the things that are going to make a difference in your pricing for profitability. At the end of the day, we do have to price our product for profitability. We're not just pricing it out there to get a good pat on our back or um, have someone say, wow, this is a really great quote. But we, at the end of the day, we have to run our businesses like businesses and profit certainly goes into that whole equation. So um, we have a couple things in our resource shop and our online course that can certainly help you with this. And you can gain more training and knowledge from uh, me and my team um, online. We do have a price for profitability mini course that you can uh, take. It is a three uh, mini course in there. And we have a new bonus that's actually coming to it. So if you have this already, you're going to get a new bonus here in the next couple of weeks of a profitability spreadsheet that's going to help you track all the events that you're booking and then uh, tell you what the profit money-wise and percentage-wise is on each product um, or each project that you are booking as well. So this was such a joy to talk to you guys, and I'm happy to answer questions if people have any. Thank you so much, Cam. I love how whenever you speak, you have so much actionable, tangible knowledge. Um, and so we have a question from Grace Hills Event Design about how the inventories are depreciated in the books for accounting and tax purposes. Is that something, I know that's a bit, probably not a quick answer, but is that something you have some resources in your academy about or something that you can share some uh, kind of quick where to go for more resources on that? Yeah, it's a longer explanation, so I don't think we have time today to go into that, but the best place to ask that question is going to be um, your tax. If you have someone who handles your tax or your accounting, um, that's the best question for them because it does depend on um, your state, where you live, um, how you're set up as a business, whether you're an S-Corp or you're an LLC. So there's a lot of factors actually go into that. Um, so I don't think I can answer that for you right now, but there are tons of resources out there. I encourage you to look at your local market to see who specializes in tax and accounting for your books. There's some companies that are uh, recently popping up for small businesses that focus on functional CFO uh, type of responsibilities and a functional CFO, which is not necessarily a full-time employee that you're hiring on, but someone who has the services that a CFO would do for you. Those are really great people to ask those questions because it honestly depends on so many different factors 
there's not just a blanket answer on that. So I'd encourage you to reach out to either a functional CFO in your market, or perhaps you have a accountant that already has this because it really just depends on a whole bunch of different things. I like that answer. We get questions like around taxes and stuff a lot. And we have this really robust tax center, which we are really proud of because it supports very detailed taxes. But I think people wish that taxes weren't detailed. And they're like, when I just apply one tax to it, and we're like, we really, uh, yeah. The reason people have, there's so many people who make a living off of this because it's not something you want to get wrong. Um, so it yeah. really, uh, unfortunately, one of those things that's usually better to invest in. Yes. Well, in taxes are such a great area for rental companies and there's so many different ways that you can tax. And unfortunately there's not just like a box that one all one size fits all goes into. Yeah. And, and if you, and if you like to do that, that way, you're going to end up with a much bigger headache. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the next question here is from Brittany who asked, do you use the three to five rule on things like bulk chairs, or is that mostly intended for specialty items? That's on everything. Yeah, everything. So we have bulk chairs as well. Um, but yes, every single thing that you purchase should be that three to five rule. But again, three to five rule isn't the only thing that you can consider. You have to consider those other things as well, because you could get bulk chairs for a smoking deal because you got them on like a black Friday sale, or you got them on some sort of sale that that company was running. And so your cost of that is going to drive way down versus what is like a market value of that item. And so you do have to take in multiple considerations, not just that three to five rule, which is why you have to take those all in together. The next question here is from Tracy. She asked, referring to the pricing that ends in fives or sevens, how do you maintain that when after a couple of years, you raise those prices? So you keep the same structure. So if you're going from a $397 couch or sofa, and you want to raise those prices in a couple of years by 10% or 15% or however you want to raise your prices, you're going to raise those prices and then adjust to where you're still landing in that three or that five or seven number. And so you can't just like blanket, well, 10% on everything, because now you're going to get a whole bunch of different numbers that you weren't expecting. Um, but going to whatever structure you want to increase by, and then just adjusting to where you're still having a five or a seven, um, is a really good thing to consider in your company. So it sounds like then you're saying that sometimes you'll go, if you're, if you're thinking of like a rough 10% across the board for some mm -hmm. go above that, for some, you might decide it's a little bit of a stretch and go below that, but you'd still recommend the five and seven. Yes, yes ma'am. Awesome. And then we have a question here from Kashi about, did you announce a sale when you changed the pricing? So when we changed the pricing from 400 to 397, for example, we didn't announce that. We just made that a change across the board. Although whenever we do a uh, price increase, whether that is um, like we just did one, for example, at the end of December, January 1st, we said, this is our new 2023 pricing. We made an announcement via email marketing um, and any personal connections that we have relationship marketing wise that we were raising prices. So they had two weeks to book their orders under the current pricing. And then they knew after January 1st, we're raising pricing to our 2023 pricing. Um, and so they knew about it, but we didn't make an announcement because we were testing a theory at the time. Um, I don't think you should make an announcement if it's a small little change like that. But if you plan on um, increasing your pricing across the board, you should be telling your clients like, hey, I'm going to be increasing pricing because unfortunately you'll have people who 
have worked with you years in the past and they will see your new quote and be like, it's a little more than I was expecting it to be. And they'll go back and look at their old pricing and be like, wait, hold on. You charged me for this same exact thing, this price. And now it's more what the heck happened. And then you have to go back and re-explain yourself. Hey, we've got, you know, different expenses to this business, inflation, like whatever your reasoning for increasing those prices. But if you give your clients the opportunity, especially those repeat clients that they know they're going to do business with you again, let them know that you're raising those pricing so that they can kind of get ahead of that change in pricing for you. And that's another good reminder too, that you can look that up in Good Shuffle. You can say like, who are the people who did business with me in the last six years or the last six months, probably more the last six months. <laughs> Go ahead and like export just that list and send that like one-off email blast to say, just want to let you know, since you did business with me in the last six months, here's a, here's your coupon code or here's your offer. Um, and it needs to be by this time. And that way you don't have to uh, guess about like who would deserve that. Um, so I love having that for your like kind of VIPs. I'm sure, you know, those repeat clients are, are everything. Yes, it is. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Cam, for your time. Um, I am going to go ahead and close down the room here. Oh, looks like we have one last question. The 5X rule would take a $60 chair to $16, but your competitors are pricing at eight. How would you price? I would price similar to that. So you do have to think about how often is this chair going to go out? So let's take a ghost chair, for example. My ghost chairs are about probably 64. They're probably about $68 now. I think I just looked at buying some more uh, due to breakage. And they've gone up in price than when I originally buy them. But if it's a ghost chair, for example, and your competitors are lower than your price, you have to evaluate, again, how often is this piece going to go out? Are you going to be renting this product like hotcakes? And it makes sense for you to price it lower, like maybe $9 or $8.50 because you know you're going to get longevity out of it. And same thing with wear and tear. If this piece, like that acrylic table versus a wooden farm table, if this piece is going to have a high breakage, then you might have to keep it at 16, knowing full well that you might not be getting as many rents on it as your competitors are. And so then that really kind of goes into a, um, are you, is your strategy for, um, mass product and like mass events. Like you want to do events over and over and over and over and over. It's a volume thing. Or are you wanting to prioritize less events, more money in the long run? So there's kind of a few strategies that go into that, but um, it depends on a whole, again, depends. But if you price it at that and you know it's going to rent quite a bit and that's maybe why your competitors are pricing it lower, then you might need to match that competitor maybe you're at 850 or your nine dollars or something like that. Pricing is something I find to be one of the most interesting topics. So again, really appreciate that you tackled yeah. this. Um, it is. And unfortunately, you know, through the years and um, not just like recently through COVID, but through the years from like 2018, 2019, 2020, and all the way through today, pricing strategies have changed so much. And you have to keep up with the, what the current market is doing because, you know, things like a pandemic will change the way that you do business. Yeah. I feel like people also sometimes can be very reactionary or overcorrect. Like I definitely see a lot of people who undersell themselves because they happen to have a competitor down the road who's really just undercutting them. And it's like, well, let them be the cheapest, which is something we've talked about in the past. But then we also see people who say, oh, I'm going to charge this much so that the perception exists that mm -hmm. I'm a high price. And you're like, 
that's not really the point either. So, um, yeah. so it's hard. Sometimes people are kind of doing that guessing and uh, it's, it's way too crucial to your business to do guessing. Like you said, it has to be based on profitability. So thanks again, Cam, for your time. And I look forward to catching up with you more soon. Yeah, thanks. Bye.